Hi, I'm David. I'm a compulsive reader. Thank you, Lauren. Um, it's such an honor to be here and to be with so many people who have watched me grow up in this program. Um, I've shared here when I had a year of abstinence um, and I thought I knew everything. <laughs> and then I had three years and I thought I knew everything. And um, in a couple of weeks, I'll have seven years. And uh, now I know I know nothing. <laughs> and uh, a lot of you have heard my share and my story, but um, I'm finding that the beautiful thing in OA is that my story keeps changing um, because how I look at my past, um, I look at it through a different lens now, uh, the more I keep doing the work. And just to qualify, my abstinence is no binging, no purging, no flour, and no sugar. And when I came into OA, I couldn't stop eating. I couldn't stop binging. Um, I couldn't go to the grocery store without leaving with all my alcoholic foods. I couldn't get home without having eaten those foods. And um, I really couldn't go three hours without binging on flour or sugar. Like, I, I understood that food called to me. Like, it called to me, and I... Um, I couldn't stop listening to the call. I would be on the highway and I would turn off and end up in 7-Eleven. I always ended up these places um, and then just not knowing how I got there. And for me, like, I try not to dwell on the past, but I have to look at where I came from to see where I'm at now and to see what I'm really up against. And um, I grew up on Long Island in a town called Cold Spring Harbor in a house on the water. And my dad's a doctor, and my mom's a therapist, and um, I went to private schools, and everything was perfect on the outside, and everybody knew my dad in my town. And um, we had the perfect exterior, and both of my parents are addicts, and there were lots of affairs going on, and when my dad... My dad would rage, and he was a big guy, and he would chase me and my sister through the house and scream at us and strangle us, and um, my sister is a little bit older than me, and he took most of the rage out on her in the early years, and I was the referee. I was just, let me make everything better, jumping in the middle, and I share a lot the first memory I really have of childhood. My dad, I mean, he must have been 300 pounds. He would stomped through the house and chased my sister and he grabbed her by the chins and was throwing her up against the wall calling her a fat pig and I jumped on his back um, and I'm like trying to pry him off her and I'm like screaming and he grabs me by the shirt and throws me up against the wall and I looked across the long hallway and my mom was standing in her doorway and she went into her room and closed the door and um, cut to I'm 30 years old now and I still have that feeling um, my mom like picks up and she's always picked up and gone um, she used to go on vision quests for months at a time growing up um, and would just leave me and I would be like orphan boy and um, now she lives on an ashram in India part time out of the year and um, even when she goes to India I just feel like where is my mom like can you just stay like I, I always have that feeling and um that's where most of the work for me still needs to be done, like this real gut level feeling that I'm going to get abandoned and like, where are you going? And, um, you know, I've been with my girlfriend over two and a half years and every time she goes on a work trip, it comes up and I feel it. And I want to create a fight to like get her to stay. 
And um, the beauty is I get to see what I do and why I do it today. But that's really what it was like. Um, my dad would just chase us through the house. And um, I mean, it was bad. I'm not going to get too bad into it, but it was once he stuffed me into a garbage can. And um, my face was just covered in bruises and having to go to school, lying about the bruises and lying to my classmates why they can't come over after school and ending up with my best friend's family and living with him for years. Like, it just got so bad. And when I was seven years old, my dad was just like torpedoing through the house. And me and my mom locked ourselves in her meditation room. And I said, we have to go. And she said, I know. And I said, we have to go tonight. And we packed up at three in the morning or early the next morning and um, moved across Long Island. And then I didn't really see my dad for 15 or 20 years. Um, but he used to follow my bus home from school and would like sit in the bleachers and just do like things that just gave me the most anxiety. And I wasn't a compulsive overeater food-wise, um, when I was living in the chaos with my family and my dad and the abuse, like, I don't remember binging during those early years. But when I had the anxiety that he was going to come and take us, I couldn't stop eating. It was the anxiety, like, the, the future tripping and, like, always waking up thinking dad's going to come home and, like, he's going he's gonna to kidnap us and kill us. That's what caused me to eat over it. And... Um, and he would. Like, that was the thing. He would come in and break in and try to get to my mom. And, like, I slept with a baseball bat under my bed until I was 16 years old. And, you know, sometimes he would come home and break in and I would, like, swing the bat at him and protect my mom from him. Um, and then the cops would come. And it was just it was just chaos. And the food was there for me. My mom started working a lot. And... Um, She's also an alcoholic. She's been in and out of the rooms of AA, and nobody was there for me. Like, I was, you know, even on the, cla- like, on the playground, I couldn't look people in the eye. I couldn't raise my hand in the classroom. Like, getting your light turned off that early on in your life, like, I wasn't a kid. I don't know, I still to this day don't know how to ride a bike. Like, there are lots of things that kids did that I didn't have that happy childhood, but I didn't even know how to, you know, it says in the AA 12 and 12, we have the total inability to form true partnerships. I've had that since I was a little kid. I don't know how to make friends on the playground. I don't know how to ask the girl out on a date. I don't know how to, like, ask a friend over after school. I don't know how to raise my hand in the classroom. I don't know how to talk to people. Like, growing up in an abusive, alcoholic home, I don't know how to be a person. All I'm thinking is, like, how am I going to make it through the day? How am I going to make sure my mom's okay and my dad's okay? I'm not worrying about, like, how am I going to get some fun after school? Like, it's a total different childhood. It's a total, like, and that's not talked about a lot in Overeaters Anonymous. There's a whole level of, like, PTSD, sadness, grief anger that needs to be done in OA. I can't just blow through the steps and make an amends to my father. Like, I have to get fucking angry. Like, I didn't have a childhood. I didn't have a happy upbringing. Like, I can't just get into forgiveness before I get into lots of anger. And um, the steps help me process all of my past and all of my childhood and all of my emotions so I don't end up at 7-Eleven when someone cuts me off in traffic. Like, why I used to act 
and go to the food was never because of what was going on in the moment. It was always like misdirected anger, misdirected emotions, misdirected daddy issues, mommy issues. Like, I have to do the work here. I really do. And there's a lot of work for me when I came into OA. And um, so we got away from my dad and I started eating and I became Mr. Fatso in school. I just couldn't stop eating. Um, and I was 60 pounds overweight as a kid and I got picked on ruthlessly. Like maybe worse than the abuse from my dad was having to go to school and having my peers just make fun of me every single day. And Fatso, um, Pudgy Chicken, Pil- Pillsbury Dope, like all the names. And every year there was a dic- different nickname, a different taunt. Um, and it was just horrible. And I hated myself. And I just had so much shame over my past, my family, being fat, eating over the fact that I was lonely, like just being so lonely. And um, even as like a seven-year-old, I would go in the shower and like have imaginary scissors and go through all my body parts and just cut them all off. And um, body image issues and being fat and all of that stuff was very acute and aware to me at a young age. And my sister got um, liposuction when I was like 12 years old. She was in high school. Um, and I, I wanted that. Like, I always, I always thought liposuction would just make my problems okay. And um, I want to talk about one more thing with the, th- with the alcoholic compulsive overeating thinking was when I was a little kid, I remember I stood at my grandfather's balcony in Florida. I was like five or six years old, and I was still in the abuse with my dad. And I remember thinking, if I just jump, all of my problems are going to be over. And then my next thought was, but nobody's going to show up at my funeral. And that kind of epitomizes what it was like in my thought life before I came into OA. Like, I just want to die but I can't because nobody's going to show up for me. And um, so I kept eating my way through childhood and through my emotions and through my sadness. And um, I watched like all my friends growing up have the childhood and have their first girlfriends and bring people to the dance and like all of these experiences that I didn't get to have. Um, I was just alone all the time. Like I just lived completely alone, like on the internet, um, eating every night, binging. And my sister, who's now in OA and who's my Eskimo, and who was always like one step ahead of me in the insanity, um, when I was, um, I think like a freshman in high school, I used to overhear her every night throwing up next, in the room next door to me, like violently purging. And then, like, putting it in a paper bag and bringing it outside and, like, dumping it in our backyard. And she did that for, like, months. And she lost, like, a, sh- a ton of weight. And I wanted that. I wanted to lose weight so badly. And I went into her room one day, and I found her diet pills. And um, I started taking them as, like, a freshman in high school. And by the time... I was a senior in high school. Um, I had lost, I think, 90 pounds. I went from 60 pounds overweight to 30 pounds underweight. I was anorexic. I was taking 15 diet pills a day. 
I was a three-sport athlete. Like, I became a star basketball player um, that was getting recruited to colleges, but I was on speed. And I would pass out. I wouldn't eat all day. I would pass out at sports practice. And, like, I was just living on the drugs. And um, for me... I have a really violent, gnarly story with bulimia and exercise bulimia, but it all stems from the compulsive overeating. First things first, and today I only qualify as a compulsive overeater because all of those things were just a symptom of my compulsive overeating. I will go to any lengths to not put on the weight because I don't want to be that fat kid again because I don't want to get picked on again. I don't want to get bullied again. So I spent years after... Um, those high school years just in the bulimia in the binging and then looking for every bathroom in New York City I have a friend in program and she was just in New York City and she's like it's so hard to find a bathroom and it's so hard to find an outlet and I was like I can tell you any bathroom I was like what do you want you want to you want some peace and quiet like <laughs> go to cozy because they have the best bathrooms to purge it like that this is what I used to think about this I like these are the things that I knew when I came into OA and um, by the time I was a senior in college I hadn't spoken to my dad in over 15 years I had never had a girlfriend so I went through college not having partners and or really friendships I went to five different colleges in four years um, and all I remember from college is binging and purging and exercising like I don't remember anything from college and I ended up in Manhattan and I was failing out of college and nobody knew where I was ever because my phone was off for like days at a time and I was going from every Whole Foods because um, I'm from Long Island like I'm like a prestige binger so I was going from every Whole Foods just binging 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 throughout Manhattan and then going down to my 24-hour gym and spending like... Because I calculated how many thousands of calories I binged and it had to match my time on the treadmill. Like the, so I went into calorie counting. So I could spend five hours a night at the gym because I wouldn't leave the gym until I hit equal. So tomorrow I could do it all over again. And man, like the punishment that I put myself through, like if I just showed myself some self-love and compassion, like there was no compassion, there was no forgiveness, there was no acceptance, there was like, you're going to get rid of it because you're not going back to those early years. You're not getting picked on again. Um, so it kept getting worse and worse and I ended up in OA. Um, I was going to kill myself and I met with my sister and I said, um, I'm a compulsive overeater and I can't stop binging and I can't stop purging and I'm going to kill myself. And she said, you have to go to OA. And she printed out a New York City OA meeting list for me. And the next week I went to OA, um, which was nine years ago. And I haven't stopped going since. And I've gone to probably, on average, a meeting every day for the last nine years. And um, even today, like I go to a meeting every day I'm up at 5 in the morning, I go to the gym, um, I meditate for 20 minutes. Like, this disease for me is no joke. Like, it's life or death for me. And I work my ass off in this program. But I spent two years going to OA almost every day not getting it, not getting abstinent. And I moved out to L.A. and I couldn't get abstinent. And there were lots of, like, 
there was a meeting at the Lions Club every night, almost, and then there was a young person's meeting. And I would go to this young person's meeting, and like everyone there was abstinent, and it brings up the childhood shit again. Like everyone else is getting it except for me. It's not fair. When is it my time? Like that's a big thing for me. Like what about me? When is it my time? And um, I spent two years like thinking this doesn't work. It's not going to happen for me. You know, I'm the one who's, you know, different. I'm unique. And I just kept coming back. Like if there was anything I got in those two years, it was like just keep coming back. Don't leave before the miracle happens. And, that, and it's really also do the, do the step work. Get a sponsor and do the step work. And I got a sponsor. And the first week that I did the step, I started the step work, um, I got abstinent. And I've been abstinent ever since. And I'm so grateful for two years of not getting it because um, I have so much appreciation for what I've been given. And I see that it's grace today. It's an undeserved gift. Whatever I have today um, was freely given to me. And I'm just so grateful um, that I kept coming back. But now seven years in, most of those people who I came in with are gone. Um, Like in my core group. And now I learn, like, don't leave when the miracle happens. <laughs> because I've watched so many people, like, get restored to sanity and have the obsession removed, and then they leave program. And then they go to another program. And, that, and it's like, I can't stay happy unless I give back what's been freely given to me. Like, because I'm a taker. I just want to get and then go. And there's nothing for me. Um, I've been restored to sanity with the food. The obsession to eat compulsively has been lifted. I don't go to the, to the gym for hours anymore. I have a healthy body weight. Um, I eat three meals a day. I have a pause button. Um, I know when to stop eating. I turn in my food every night. Like, when it comes to food and health and body and body image and exercise, like, I'm healthy. I'm a healthy, normal person. So in that regard, there's nothing OA can give me anymore. So I come to give back. And when I give back, I get even more. And that's like the, the crazy, amazing thing about this program is like, I can't keep it unless I give it away. And that's not just about being of service in the rooms because for a long time, like, I do a lot of service commitments. I sponsor a lot of people. But, like, how am I showing up with my family? How am I showing up outside? How am I really practicing these principles in all my affairs? And um, give back what I've been freely given. Um, It says that so often in different ways in the big book and in all the literature. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Like, and this has been a huge part with my family, um, so the first time I went through the steps, my sponsor said, you never have to make amends to your dad. He's an abuser. Um, and then I went through the steps a couple more times, and then my next sponsor said, you have to see your dad. Like, you can't live with this anger. And I made amends to my dad when I had, like, three years of abstinence. And I saw him, amazing things to share, like, from the podium. Like, it was amazing experiences that I saw my dad after not seeing him for 15 years. And we started to, like, 
have this relationship and I took him to an OA meeting and he qualified. Like crazy things were happening. But like hurt people hurt people. And my dad like hurt me again and I cut him out for like three more years. And I was like, they're out. My family's out. Like they're not coming back. And that is like such a character defect that it's forgiveness. Like I always thought like they don't deserve my forgiveness. They haven't made amends to me. When's mine? Like they have never been parents to me. I've been the parent my whole life. When when we moved away from my dad, my mom said, you're the man of the house now. Like, I don't want to be the man of the house now anymore. Like, I want to be a kid. Like, I want to be parented. I want to have that feeling. And that has been with me for a really long time. And long timers used to just say, you're just not ready. You're just not ready to completely forgive your parents. And I was like, don't tell me you're not, I'm not ready. Like, you don't understand what I went through. And um, I've done a lot of work the last couple of years about really needing nothing from my family and not caring about getting that, um, the, the amends that I'm never going to get and, like, really working other programs and really just, like, learning about forgiveness and seeing, like, the importance of forgiveness because I want to be a father. Like, I want to have a family. I want to break my family tree. And if I don't forgive where I came from, I can't start something new. I can't heal it unless I walk through it. And um, this, like, desire to be a father, which has, like, only come to me in the last couple of years, has really made me go for forgiveness and just do the work around it. That doesn't mean I have to call up my dad or my mom and say, I forgive you. It's just do the work so when the time is right, God will help me show up the way I'm supposed to show up. So my sister got married a month ago and I I wasn't going to go. And I had this whole story like, I just can't be with my family. I'm not going to go. It's best for my... I can use my recovery. My disease can hijack my recovery and convince me that it's actually recovery when it's actually not. It's actually me not confronting what I need to confront to grow. But I had the story that I'm not going to go. I'm going to go to meetings and just not show up. And my sister got married at a summer camp in the middle of nowhere. So it's not like I could have just popped in and popped out. It was like I'm staying in a bunk and there's no way out. Like this is a weekend with, my, with weekend at Bernie's with my family. And I just showed up and it was like I'm just going to be of service and I'm just going to let God work through me. And I got to this wedding and um, my dad was like, can we just talk for five minutes before Michelle, my sister, gets married. And I was like, fine, five minutes. So he takes me, like, on the balcony before the wedding, and he made, like, the most, to him, the best amends he could have ever made. Um, He was like, I just don't know why I did the things that I did. Like, it made me see that he doesn't, just like how I was with food, like, I don't know how I got here. That's what he was with abuse. Like, he really couldn't understand why he hurt me and everybody else around him. And um, he said, I'm really sorry. What do you want to do? Do you want to never talk to me again? Do you want to, like, have this be it? And that, like, I could have went in with a plan, but, like, doing the work and meditating every day and working with others allows me to just show up in my heart in the moment and trust that whatever comes out of me is the right thing. And I said, to wrap up, 
I give you my forgiveness. And for the first time ever, I realized that forgiveness, like my abstinence, was a gift that was freely given that I can give away. Um, Thank you for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There's no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so after the meeting. Also, please remember the opinions of the leader are my own and not not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. So the question is, how do I handle my exercise today? Um, my first year of abstinence, I committed my exercise like I did with the food to my sponsor. I said, okay, I'm going into the gym. Okay, I'm leaving. And um, now it's just, I've been restored to sanity. The more that I focus on a higher power, the more like I just intuitively know what to do with my exercise. I know what my body needs and I know how to give it to it. Um, well, my so the question is with the forgiveness story. Is there anything I need to do with my mom and with my sister? Um, my sister is on her fifth step, so if she gets to ten without making amends, <laughs> there's going to be some work to do. Um, with my mom, yeah, it was, I, I didn't share about this, but my, so my mom moved to India part-time um, to live with the hugging saint, the, the, the woman. And in my head, I was like, because I grew up with like the healers and the life coaches and that world, and it just triggers the shit out of me. Um, but when I saw my mom at the wedding, she said to me, for the first time ever, I'm ready to listen. And she said, like, tell me everything. And we also had this, like, conversation where I told her everything. And um, that was our healing. Thank you. Yeah. By the image, from where you were to what you are now, how do you deal with it when you look in the mirror? Body image, where I was, where I am now, how do I deal with it when I look in the mirror? So when I came into OA nine years ago, I hated myself. Like, two-a-day yoga, hot yogas, like, I couldn't even look in the mirror. Hated, like, really thought every part of my body was broken. Um, Three years into abstinence, I went on a 12-step trip to Israel, and everybody went in the Dead Sea, and it was, like, this amazing thing. And I pretended like I was sick, so I didn't have to take my shirt off and go in. And after that, I was like, I'm not, like, I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't not live my life because I'm scared of what people are going to think about my body. And then I just took contrary action, like massive contrary action, like going to the beach and taking my shirt off. 
and like getting comfortable with it and like walking around in my house with my shirt off and the more I did it now it's like I just don't ca- I care about my body and how I look but I just don't I'm, it's like I can't I have too much on my plate and in my life right now to like focus on my body there are days now where I just don't even look in the mirror like however I am has to be good enough thank you very much Um, I assume you've done all this recovery with some outside help as well if that's wrong just say it's wrong but if that's right how does somebody with your level of trauma go about selecting your outside help um, how did someone with my level of trauma go about outside help? <coughs> so in OA, for me, I don't cast a wide net. Like, I have a very, in any program that I'm in, I keep it very, like, I have my people, and I don't go to a lot of people. Like, there are some people in program who will ask anyone for experience, strength, and hope. Not me. Like, I need to... Who's your sponsor? Like, where are you channeling your advice from? Because some people don't even have a sponsor and they're just spewing, like, advice. I had a sponsor who was, like, so connected, who went through everything that I had been through, and he guided me through, like, the outside help situation. Big time. How do I go from having the on-off switch with people, like the hot and cold, to having a thermostat? Um, Well, having sponsees and a sponsor helps because it just teaches me that it's just I just show up every day, regardless of how I'm feeling. If I don't like my dad today, like before program, it's just like he's out. And like program teaches me, I just show up regardless of how I'm feeling and act my way into right thinking. And like being in a relationship is the same way. There are days when I'm just like, I don't, I'm not into this. But I just show up anyway and know that it's going to pass. And my feelings are like clouds. And I'm, it's all me too. How I feel about other people is usually just a reflection of how I'm feeling on myself. Yeah. The question is, I think, like, how did I make amends with my dad around the food and traveling with my mom? I never went to India with my mom or did that. I I would live with my best friend. My best friend's family calls me their adopted son, and 
like I'm there. That's my family. Um, it's okay. And with my dad, with the food, we went to an like I visited him a couple of years into abstinence, and I guess he just saw that I was different and asked if he could come to an OA meeting with me, and I didn't say anything. And by the end, he raised his hand and he said, "My name is Lou. I'm an overeater, and I think I've been in denial my whole life." And um, I just showed up, and that happened. I don't know what he's doing with food anymore, but I did the work around it to just show up. Thank you so much for your share. Um, how you kind of touched upon um, your daily ritual. Can you talk more about how you work your program to a couple of days? And can you also talk about like your line of work, your industry, touching on it, how you're able to keep sanity so daily ritual is the question and then with what I do how do I keep sanity so my daily ritual I have a sponsor in another program who has what I want and they say if someone has what you want ask how he or she is achieving it and I'll, I'll do that with certain people and then I won't do what they do <laughs> and he says he wakes up and he, I mean he runs a great company like is married with a kid lives with integrity like he just has what I want and he wakes up at 5 in the morning goes to the gym by 6 goes to a meeting at 7.30 puts the oxygen mask on himself so he can show up for his family and his job and everything and I resented that for a really long time and then it's like just take the action and see what will happen like, and I did, and it's changed my whole life. And so I wake up at five, I meditate, I hit my knees first thing in the morning and say like a quick prayer to God. Um, I go to the gym, and then I go to a 7.30 meeting, and then I'm good to show up. And in my line of work, so I, I went two years, more than two years, without working. Rejection after rejection, after like the worst and um, it's kind of just like with the food like I, I just had to have hope that my time's going to come and it's not up to me it's God's time not mine and I just have to keep putting in the work and showing up and being of service and it's just seasons and that's kind of what happened and I'm in a completely different season right now and I'm so grateful for it and I'm so grateful for the gifts that I got when I was in nothing happening. Yeah. You mentioned that you have kind of problems forming relationships. So how is it that you got yourself a best friend and a girlfriend? <laughs> how is, so with my problems with relationships, how did I... Um, how did I get a best friend and a girlfriend? Actually, my best friend is one, probably my best friend's right here. Um, and we talk like like schoolgirls three times a day. And we walk each. You know, I learn how to be vulnerable. Like I can't have a real partnership unless I let people in on what's really going on. Everything is not perfect every day. Like 
so we talk every day regardless of how I'm feeling and like this is what's going on in my mind this is what my mind's telling me today and that like brings us closer um, into like a real partnership because I've seen so many like couples out there who are just not I don't know and in my intimate relationship like we do the work like we do a lot of work so that we don't when we come to each other we don't need each other to fill each other up because every relationship that I'm used to being in I need that person there and we hear it in like pop songs and like you're the one like that's not good for me like (laughs) my my partner cannot be the one for me like she cannot solve all of my problems like I have a sponsor I have a team I have my best friends I process my shit outside of the relationship I go to meetings I do the work so that when I'm like in the relationship I'm pretty healthy and put together there are definitely triggers I definitely act like a child sometimes I definitely throw temper tantrums but working the program allows me to like being in a relationship my girlfriend always says like the 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 most um, attractive thing about me is how quickly I own my part and I mean when I used to mess up with people before program I would just cut them out because I was too ashamed to say I'm sorry now it's like I apologize numerous times a day Um, so the program and the principles of the program and having a sponsor and having fellows who are like my brothers help me be in a relationship. Hi, how do you uh, deal with the, how, how do you dealt with the issue of abandonment that you felt and what are you still doing to deal with that? So the question is how did I deal with the issue of abandonment that I felt and how do I still deal with that? I mean, the issue with abandonment for me is like, I just didn't get what I needed as a kid. I didn't get that. So it's like I can keep going to the butcher shop for cheese or whatever they say. Or I can just like, if I'm 30 years old, I can just get it myself now. I can find people in program who can give me what I've needed from my parents. And I have. I've had female sponsors. I've had like... For me, it's actually not good to have a sponsor who's like a daddy. Um, It's best with me when they're like peers. But I've had that energy. I've had those figures. So I have like father figures and mother figures. And I just surrounded myself with a really healthy family. Sophia. How did my concept of, of a higher power change from my from when I came into program until now when I came into program um, I knew there was a God because I kept praying to something to like help me and save me but I didn't have a personal relationship with it and I didn't really think it was going to help me in the day to day and for me this program has been so experiential like I'm a, I'll, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it kind of person. So that's had to be my higher power. That's like our relationship. It's like getting restored to sanity with food 
what was something that I couldn't do on my own willpower. Like for me, that had to be done by a miracle. And when that happened, that was like an experience that helped me really believe in my higher power. And I keep asking for those experiences. And my higher power keeps providing. Forgiving my dad is another experience that like shows me that there is a higher power. And um, the more that I'm given these experiences, the more that this higher power becomes like... Um, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just a feeling now that I have that I know. It's a knowingness. Like I just know how to talk to people. I know how to show up. I know... Um, I had a friend who's not in program and she called me on Thursday and she said, I have this friend and she's really struggling and she needs a 12-step program and I feel like you're the person to help me. And I said, can you tell me a little bit about her? And she told me a little bit about her and I was like, I can't help you, but I think I know who can. And I called this girl who I haven't spoken to in a year and I was like, can you help this person? Can I give her your phone number? I gave her her phone number. The girl who I called, who I haven't spoken to in a year, called me yesterday, the day after, and she's like, I just took that girl out to a meeting. At seven. We got coffee at 7 in the morning. We went to a meeting at 7.30, and now I'm sponsoring her. <laughs> and um, she's like, I don't know how you know it, knew it, but we have the same story. And for me, it's just like I know things that I never knew before. I, I have an intuition that's like kind of spot on. And that's it's like I do the work today because that in intuition guides me everywhere today. Like it's what I follow. Carol. Um, so how do you specifically use the steps to work on your rage and your resentment and your... Ah, uh, too bad. Time's up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you year nine. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> That's all the time we have.